And now in the closing minutes this afternoon, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21, Proverbs chapter 21. One of the things that I endeavor to do, I'm not always successful, but one of the things I endeavor to do is to read a chapter in Proverbs to the corresponding day of the month. Today is the 29th, so sometime in the course of this day, I do well to read Proverbs chapter 29. And if you miss, you know, you miss doing this on consecutive days, well, just uh, go to whatever day of the month it is and read the chapter, and you will certainly do a great deal to instruct yourselves in the practical wisdom in the book of Proverbs. But chapter 21, we're going to read the entire chapter through, and then I'm just going to focus on one of the Proverbs out of this chapter. So Proverbs chapter 21, this is the word of God. Let us hear it. And right out of the gate, this first verse is something that we do well to keep ever in our minds and hearts and ever in our prayers when we read, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I'm not going to focus on that proverb today. But I will pause at it long enough here just to say, this is what gives us encouragement to pray for those that rule over us in civil office. The president, the vice president, Supreme Court justices, the mayor, city council members, etc., etc. Their hearts are all in the hand of the Lord. He can direct their hearts toward righteousness. And when we know that, that should give us the confidence to pray. Lord, turn the hearts of our rulers toward righteousness. Their hearts are in your hand, Lord. You are so much more powerful than they are. They think themselves to be wise. They think themselves to be mighty. But Lord, they are nothing in comparison with thee. Please, for the sake of thy children and for the sake of thy kingdom, turn their hearts toward righteousness, and suppress their desires toward wickedness. So, continuing with verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of every one that is hasty, only to want. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. The robbery of the wicked shall destroy them, because they refuse to do judgment. The way of a man is forward and strange, but as for the pure, his work is right. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. The soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. 
The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. It is joy to the just to do judgment, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and a transgressor for the upright. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty, and casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse the labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. I want to call your attention in particular to verse 16, especially the last part of the verse. It says, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. This text presents to us the stark reality of the congregation of the dead. There's a sense, I suppose, in which you could say the whole human race became this congregation following the fall of man. Man was made to live, but man chose in our representative in Adam uh, to die and to join the congregation of the dead. Man was created with understanding. He understood God. He understood God's sovereign rule. He understood the right of God to deal with him as his ruler. And he understood himself. He saw himself as God's created being. And that in turn made him know that he was answerable to the one who gave him his being. The one who was his creator. He understood God's law and God's covenant. When the prohibition was given to him of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That's in Genesis 2. 
Man certainly understood that commandment. There was nothing deep or difficult about it. And man also understood that God had the power to execute the penalty. He had the authority to enforce the penalty. Man's understanding of God was such that he would have known that God, by his very nature, would be true to himself and therefore true to his word. God was not kidding when he put before Adam and Eve that prohibition. But somehow, and just how exactly this happened is indeed a great mystery, somehow, man who was created with understanding and righteousness and true holiness wandered away from that way of perfect understanding, and Adam, by his action, you could say, created the beginning of the congregation of the dead and brought the whole human race into membership with him. And there man must remain. There's no way out in his own power or wisdom. There's no way out that's traceable to anything he can do or say or think. The false religions of the world, of which there are many, they are more united, I think, than what people realize. The Buddhist may not think that he has much in common with the Hindu or the Muslim, but in fact, they're all members of the same congregation. It's the congregation of the dead. One may think there's great diversity in the world's false religions, but in fact, they share much in common. They all share membership in the congregation of the dead. What is the largest church in the world today? You could say it's the church of the dead, the congregation of the dead, made up of diverse religions all over the world, but having that much in common. They're spiritually dead. The moral man may not think he has anything in common with the outright defiled and debauched sinner, but in fact, they're members of the same congregation, congregation of the dead. Here is a congregation then that we're born into. You don't even have to be baptized. And it's a congregation that the natural man can't escape. Our text says, the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. That word remain is an interesting word and is often translated by the word rest. The sinner rests in this congregation. It's a given to the sinner that he must have his sin. That's just a given. He rests in that. He rests in that desire. For him to give up the pleasure of sin is to give up a part of who he is by his very nature. And don't we see the evidence of this all around us? Oh, we must have a cure for our sexually transmitted diseases. We must devote money and research to finding a cure for such awful and deadly things. 
but it would be unthinkable to suppose that we must give up sin in order to avoid such disease. No, the cure must be found in such a way that will still allow for promiscuity and perverse immorality. Why? Because that's the policy of the congregation of the dead. So the sinner rests or remains steadfast in his sin. And even though his sin brings great misery, it's the misery that must be relieved without dealing with the sin. The sinner must remain in the congregation of the dead. There may be congregation hopping in that he may go from one vice to another, or he may go from one bar to another, or may he, he may even go from one religion to another. But he never strays from his ultimate congregational tie. He remains in the congregation of the dead. We may look upon such a phenomenon now with astonishment, since we as Christians have been delivered from the congregation of the dead. We wonder why anyone would remain in such a congregation. Indeed, God looks upon this phenomenon with astonishment. So we read in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? God is as astonished as anyone at the way sinners remain in the congregation of the dead. And while we look on this phenomenon with astonishment, we should also look on it with deep humility. We were members of this congregation. We belonged to the congregation of the dead. We were spiritually dead. We were without God and without Christ in the world. We were bound for the final abode of this congregation, which is the flames of hell. But by the grace of God, we were brought out of this congregation. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, Ephesians 2. With a mighty hand and a stretched out arm, God condescended to deliver us from the slavery that goes with being a member of the congregation of the dead. Were it not for his grace and his power and his provision in Christ and his spirit awakening us to our membership in the devil's congregation, we too would have remained in it. We would have been as unwilling as any sinner to give up sin. So you have cause for humility as well as praise and thanksgiving today if you can say that Christ delivered you from the congregation of the dead. But there's another way in which we may view the congregation of the dead. There's a very subtle way in which Christians are lured back to this congregation. Here is a congregation that doesn't willingly give up its members. 
The devil leads the way of luring members back to this congregation. They end up back in that congregation through spiritual negligence and carelessness. The text says that they wander out of the way of understanding. They just drift away from it through neglect and carelessness. To wander away is not to face in any particular direction and then resolutely determine that you're going to go in that direction. Oh no, it's more subtle than that. To wander means to drift. It means to simply lose your bearings and go through life aimlessly, often distracted by the deceitfulness of riches and the distractions of this world. A wanderer is one who doesn't really know where he's drifting to. He may have no place to go. He has no mark to aim for. This is one of the most frightful things to behold in our day, especially among young people. In spite of the fact that so many have grown up under the sound of the gospel, there's a whole generation growing up in this land with no aim or ambition, with no motivation or sense of direction. A person in that condition, whether he knows it or not, he becomes very vulnerable to sin. When you have no aim or ambition, then you'll simply do what feels good to the flesh. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the philosophy of those who wander from the way of understanding. Do what's pleasing to the flesh. Do what gratifies every lust. If it feels good, it must be right. So the rule goes from the congregation of the dead. And what's true of young people is also true of adults. How is it that there are so many churches in our land that are rightfully labeled as dead churches? The cause for their being dead is not difficult to trace. They've wandered out of the way of understanding, which is tantamount to saying they've wandered away from Christ himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Christ tells us. And that verse indicates to us that Christ is our direction, Christ is our absolute, and Christ is our spiritual vitality. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. And so it seems that many so-called Christian churches have wandered from the way of understanding because they've wandered from any sense of reverence toward God and toward Christ. And it's no wonder they would wander from this. They've never taught had never been taught or been reminded of who God is. They have little, if any, perception of the glory of his being and the glory of his work. They have little perception because the very subject is deemed to be impractical. Impractical theological speculation by clerics or seminary professors who have nothing better to do. The biggest cause, I believe, for the weakened and sickly condition of much of Christianity today is traceable to the notion 
that theology just isn't practical. The knowledge of God is of no practical value. Those who think this way have wandered from the way of holiness to the way of worldliness. And they've substituted carnal pleasure for spiritual vitality and godliness. We read in verse 17 from chapter 16 in Proverbs. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. And once churches fall into the pattern of worldly-mindedness and the pursuit of pleasure through the use of things in their worship that are merely pleasing to the flesh, it becomes practically impossible to escape the congregation of the dead. They remain there. They abide there. They're deceived into thinking they found life where in fact all they found is a way to cast a religious tint over their worldliness. And so our focus should be very clear. Let the wisdom of this proverb be imparted to your soul. Let's pray that the Lord will not let us wander from the way of understanding. Let's pray that the Lord will save us from slipping into being just another manifestation of the congregation of the dead. Let's pray that we'll be enabled by his grace to know more of Christ, more of his love, more of his power, more of his mercy. Let's make the words of the hymn our focus and our emphasis. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. And so long as we'll make this our direction and our focal point, then we'll be able to avoid drifting or wandering. And in turn, we'll be able to avoid slipping into the congregation of the dead. Let's close then in prayer. O Lord, as we bow in thy presence now and bring this meeting to a close, we pray that thou wilt help us to overcome the temptation to wander. We know what the hymn writer has written, and we know it too well in our own experience. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. O oh Lord, help us not to drift out of the way of understanding. Help us instead to devote ourselves to the pursuit of Christ as he's revealed to us in the Bible. May we seek after him with all our hearts. May we not be lured away by the cares of the world or the deceitfulness of riches. We ask of thee, O oh Lord, to save us from drifting into the congregation of the dead. So hear our prayers and take our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.